This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's National Family Caregiver Day and Toronto City Caregivers Day, but I bet few of the millions of informal caregivers in Canada have a chance to celebrate their contribution, which, by the way, would cost our health system between 24 and $31 billion a year if it were paid. One in four of us are caregivers, devoting on average 19 hours a week to caregiving duties, with one in 10 putting in more than 30 hours a week. There's an economic impact, Many caregivers reduce their hours at their paid jobs, miss work, or leave the workforce entirely. And a report by the Canadian Institute for Health Information found that 26% of informal caregivers are in distress, and if the loved one has dementia, that figure rises to 45%. They are at increased risk of depression, they're often in conflict with extended family members, and they often stop going out with friends. Not surprisingly, most caregivers are women. Almost three-quarters are aged 45 to 64, although a quarter were seniors themselves. In fact, 10% age 75 or older. It all adds up to a bit of a crisis, and having a day for them is the least we can do to show our appreciation. We have three guests today. I'd like to welcome Jane Medes, who is Barrister and Solicitor for the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly, Carrie Lucky, who is the CEO of the Circle of Care at the Sinai Health System, and Sal Amenta, who is a caregiver who has an adult son with a disability, and he's a caregiver advocate. Welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sal, let's start with you. Give us a sense of of how much time you devote to caregiving and and what the cost has been. Well, it's uh, been over a very long period of time because I guess it all started about 30 years ago when we first discovered that our son had special needs. And you know what that means in the school system is a lot of complicated uh, work that has to be done, and we have to advocate for him. But most recently, as of about uh, 20 to 25 years ago, and that's when I had the pleasure and privilege of meeting Jane Midas, who helped us look after my mother, who was at home. Uh, She had suffered a cardiac arrest and uh, um, brain damage as a result of that. We never thought that she would survive it, but she did. She was a very different person, uh, taxed the the home and the family to an incredible degree, uh, such that uh, we lost our our health. Uh, Two families uh, broke down. And um, in the in the end, we saw both my mother and my father pass away under very difficult circumstances that required 24-7 care. So I know what it's all about. I lost a father-in-law that way with dementia. 
And uh, we have a mother-in-law who was a going concern last year, but fortunately there's a happy ending to her story. She found a wonderful placement in a, a home that is just perfect for her. So we're like, uh, thanking our lucky stars, but it has not been easy. Okay, well, since you mentioned Jane, let's bring in Jane next. Jane, what do you see in terms of informal family and friend caregivers? We see a lot of um, people who are struggling in the community. So generally when they contact us, uh, they're sort of at their wit's end. They're probably trying to get someone into long-term care or trying to deal with the uh, home care system and are being told that, you know, they have to wait, that they can't get the sufficient care, they just have to be, you know, accept what is being given them. And often people are at the breaking point or past the breaking point and are, you know, doing things like abandoning people in hospital. Or I was going to ask about that. There mm-hmm. seems to have been a rash of that. Yes. And I guess on the face of it, you know, you would condemn and, and, and not just abandoning people in a local hospital, but I've heard stories about people abandoning people in airports in a different city. Yeah, I haven't heard the airport one, but certainly we hear. And, you know, when people talk about abandoning someone in the hospital, you know, in general, that's really not truly what they're doing. What they're saying is, is they can no longer provide that care. The system is broken and they have no choice but to rely upon the hospital system because it's the only place you can sort of take someone and possibly get them to stay there. You can't drop someone off at a long-term care home and have them stay because there's no beds and they're not allowed to do that, right? So it it is often a, a situation where they just cannot physically, mentally provide that care, and the only safe place they can think of is to take someone to a hospital. And, you know... No wonder our hospitals are at the breaking point. Absolutely. And the conundrum is is that in many of these cases, if they took... They're saying, if I take that person home, I would owe that person a duty uh, to provide care. And there's actually a criminal code offense called failing to provide the necessaries. So they're saying, we can no longer meet our duty to that person. They are far beyond our, you know, ability. And, you know, we have a public health care system. It's supposed to provide this care, and yet it doesn't. And so there's this really big, you know, people say, oh, you're abandoning, you're refusing to take them home. What you're having people saying is that we are no longer equipped to provide that level of care, and yet the system's saying, well, we don't care, just do it anyway. Okay. Carrie Lucky. Uh, what kind of help do you provide at the Circle of Care, and what do you see uh, by the time people get to you? Well, we definitely provide a number of programs, but just before I go into that, I I just want to reiterate what everyone has said. I think we're at a breaking point uh, in this province. We're getting there. We have more than 8 million Canadians across the country providing informal care, 3 million alone in Ontario, and we are becoming a nation of caregivers. Uh, we're bearing the responsibility of caring for the elderly, the sick, with complex medical conditions, our own families, and then we're trying to hold down uh, full-time jobs. And I do think that, uh, you know, the issue with the hospitals is becoming more and more critical. We're hearing about it every day in the news. And um, as what has already been said, people are at their breaking point. Um, and 
The Ontario Caregiver Organization, which has uh, been created in the spring of 2018, I think is a very good first step going forward with respect to recognizing caregivers and what they do. Um, but what we need to do is we need to engage caregivers in shaping and advancing our programs. Um, one of the things we do at our organization is we have a patient or a client family and advisory committee because we need to hear from them to help us understand what our programs how our programs need to be tailored to support them. And I do think there needs to be more innovation and development of respite programs for our caregivers. Many caregivers don't want their their loved ones to go into long-term care. They don't necessarily want to bring them to hospitals, but they have no choice. But if we can create more adult day programs or we can look at the value of volunteers and how they can provide respite to their loved ones, those are programs that we need to develop and become more innovative with how we deliver those programs. You know, it's... It's yep. really amazing. I'm I, I'm remembering an ongoing caller that I have not heard for from for a while, Dave in Brampton, and he kept calling in and telling us that he could not get the respite he needed to see the dentist, and uh, it was over a period of a uh, you know a number of of months, I think. And he called in several times, and we tried to hook him up. That eventually he got a commitment for somebody to show up at the right hour so he could go to the dentist, or maybe it was the doctor. I mean, some of these stories are amazing. And of course, I I want people out there, I want you to call us and tell us about your experience, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, I'd like to go to Carrie, who is part of the Alzheimer Society, who's now at City Hall for some kind of celebration. Hi there. Hello? 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 Hello. Yes. Hi. I'm here at City Hall right now, actually, just downtown Toronto with the Caregiver Show. That We have 250 caregivers here right now. Okay, so this is like a trade show. Uh, it's more of a celebration. There are tables here with different organizations that connect to caregivers. But we also have a few caregivers who have spoken. Um, some counselors have spoken. So yeah, it's been a it's, a, it's and we're about to have, start some entertainment. Okay, so some people are getting away uh, to have a bit of a celebration. Jane Medus, what about navigation? Is part of the problem that you know we have this kind of patchwork of of programs and respite and home care that doesn't get delivered at the exact time it's supposed to be? You know, how much of the issue is navigation? Well, I think certainly part of the issue is navigation. People not knowing where to go or where what resources are out there. Um, you have very savvy sort of consumers out there who know everything, and then there's others who really don't realize what kind of services might be available to them, for example, respite and long-term care um, or other kind of programs. Um, so you, you, you really have to um, be educated, and people don't necessarily know who to ask the questions to, and there's not that sort of central point. It was supposed to be the CCAC years ago, but I don't really think they ever really did that role. The problem is, though, is that 
those services may not be available or may not be available when they want them. Um, and so there's a lot of barriers to even where there's those programs there. You can say, well, there's a respite program, but they're booked up. So it doesn't help you. Sal, uh, can you tell me some of your struggles to get services like that? It's certainly true that uh, the CCAC, when it existed, was not adequate in terms of providing the care and supports that we knew we needed and desperately needed. And I would like to also echo what has been said before and the statistics that you gave earlier, uh, but uh, they touch on many of the things that I uh, have on, on a website that I created uh, with Change.org. It's a petition that I started about a year ago, and over 32,000 Canadians have uh, signed the petition, echoing the need for much better supports for caregivers who are drowning in um, pressure and stress and in despair, sometimes in isolation. And if you were to go to my website, you would see, um, you could see thousands of comments by people who wrote in to tell what, in effect, are their horror stories. And in my petition, I, I take the time to point out that I'm part of the baby boomers who, in only seven years from now, will be crossing the 80-year-old threshold. And that, according to StatsCan, that's about 10 million people beginning to enter that period of time in their lives if they survive that long. And, of course, we all know they're all Zoomer perfect, right? The uh, cover types who don't need any help in any way and uh, are going concerned and are healthy and fit as a fiddle. Uh, you catch my irony. Yes, so, I do. Therefore, my big concern that I'm trying to point out to the federal government is when on earth are we going to create that comprehensive strategic plan to deal with the silver tsunami that's going to hit Canada's shores in only six or seven years? I don't think we'll be able to do it the day before. Well, we should I think have had it at least five years ago. There's a little bit of money, uh, I believe, going towards a, a dementia strategy. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to bring in Dave in Brampton because I was just talking about him, so he called in. Hi, Dave. How are you Hi. doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I have something that's going to shock you. Okay. Uh, about uh, roughly two and a half months ago, uh, the occupational therapist, my uh, wife's uh, uh, casework manager, and uh, I forget who else, there was somebody else here, and they all showed up and they talked, and when uh, the uh, the case manager uh, informed me that I was getting 12 hours a month respite, I almost died. <laughs> and what do you do with your 12 hours? I, uh, I do things that I need to do. I... Uh, uh, have gone to appointments or uh, go out and, uh, maybe to the lumber yard if I need something or whatever. But Grocery I shopping? And like I say, it was total, a total shock. I, it was unexpected. Uh-huh. And uh, I welcomed it. Okay. And, do <laughs> and you that proves that the noisy or the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Okay. But I, I want to ask you this. So if I recall correctly, your wife's caregiving needs, it's basically 24 hours a day, right? She, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, 
do you find, I mean, I'm just listening to your voice and what I recall it was. So the 12 hours, does it, is, is that what you need? Is it, oh, does it change your, me. pardon? That's just for me. I know it's just for you. I'm saying, uh, does this. Like she gets, she gets uh, uh, seven hours a week for washing, one hour every morning. And they also give me another three hours every week to go shopping. Okay, so I'm to do my I'm, grocery shopping. What right. I'm asking is, is this what you need, and is your mood better? Do you feel better? Oh, I feel about like 100. percent Wow. Well, Dave, uh, you know I'm I'm still a kid, eh? I'm only 78 <laughs> <laughs> until a, for a few more days. <laughs> Okay, well, happy birthday in advance. Uh, I just want to throw it out to our experts. I mean, it sounds to me, and congratulations, Dave, that it's not taking that much if 12 hours a week is helping him and keeping... A month, a month, a week. Sorry, 12 hours a month. 12 hours a month for me. We do find our caregivers, because they've had nothing for so long, quite frankly, uh, you know, 12 hours does go a long way when you've had zero in the past, mm-hmm. but we need more. And uh, dollars and resources need to be advoca- or sent to the community so we can provide more respite for, yeah. for these needy caregivers. Actually, uh, I found a big difference just with that 12 hours. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I found a big difference. But how long did you have to wait for that to happen? Uh, well, I've been looking after my wife since 1995. There you go. So that's 20. Actually, we just passed the 24th year. Wow. Well, you you sound much better than you did the last time oh, I talked to you, Dave. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you called in because there's a happy ending. And uh, Jane Metis, you know, what I was going to say is that... and. 12 hours a month of respite of home care compared to what it would cost to put Dave's wife into long-term care or any other solution or uh, to if Dave got to the point where he couldn't do it anymore. I mean, it, it sounds like it's cost-effective on top of, you know, saving his mental health. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I mean, that's, that's the difficult part is that we have a system that, um, you know, they expect the caregivers to provide the care, and yet they don't provide the support for it. And then you end up with the most costly because people end up in hospital, for example, for long periods of time or, you know, in long-term care because they may end up in hospital because they can't go home or they may end up in hospital for a long period of time because something goes wrong. And so we're often reacting instead of being proactive and providing something like, respite care, um, you know, will go a long way to ensuring a person might be able to stay home for a longer period of time. Carrie, uh, do you have a sense of, you know, when you're dealing with people with Alzheimer's, it is a situation where somebody has to be with them all the time. Do you have a sense of what the appropriate number for caregivers is in terms of respite, or is it just individual? We find that it's individual. Um, you know, there can be some families where there's an only child and they may be caring for two parents who have a dementia and that can be very taxing when you're the only child in the family. You're trying to hold down a job. You're trying to care for two 
um, elderly parents versus another family where you might have four or five siblings so you can share the task. Um, so I think, you know, it is an individual approach to uh, looking at respite. Uh, and that's where I think a, a good case manager, a good care coordinator needs to sit down with the family and really understand what are your needs. 12 hours may be fine. Uh, 12 hours to get out of the house could be good, but also it could be, again, an adult day program where uh, the the senior could be leaving the house for two days. And that way somebody can actually stay at home and do things in their own home while their loved one is outside of the home. So I think each approach is individual and it is hard to put a number on it, but it's a discussion with the caregiver. Mm-hmm. And do you find, uh, I asked Jane about the navigation problem, what's your take on that? The, the na- <laughs> when I heard Jane speak, I, I I couldn't help but agree with her. I'm in healthcare, and when I was a caregiver, and I'm still a caregiver, I even had challenges uh, navigating through the system, and I probably know it far better than anyone else. Um, it is a difficult, complex system. Uh, I do think the government's plans to move forward and create perhaps teams or a different type of system uh, may pro- help or provide some hope for the future in terms of the complexity. Uh, but if we do have, for example, um, a, re- a resource like caregiver organization who could provide and post resources and education for caregivers. It's a one-shop stop where we can go and find information. That's one way of navigating the system. But call your local community organization, uh, like ourselves, a circle of care or another community support organization. Um, just pick up the phone and there will be somebody there who will speak to you and, and help you in terms of understanding what resources are in your area or your jurisdiction. It's interesting, you know, when I received cancer care, which I think is one of the aspects of health care that is really, really good here, you know, the first thing I was, or person that I was assigned was a nurse navigator, and they help you get from one part of treatment to another, and I've never understood why that type of a model couldn't be applied in the rest of the health system, and especially for elder care, which is so complicated. Absolutely. And as I said before, I think that originally, and I know that originally that was supposed to be the role of the CCAC, um, but then that didn't happen. No, that didn't happen. And now we're going to get an even bigger agency. Absolutely. And we don't know what their role is or what they're going to do. Okay. Uh, Sal, have you seen things improve well, I, I agree that the federal government initiating a, a dementia strategy is a very good step, but it's a baby step. We have to look at the whole picture, as I said earlier. We're talking about a huge number of people suddenly <clears throat> appearing into the, going into the health system with all kinds of needs. And you know as well as I that the way they're going to solve hallway medicine is to send people home into the community and home care. But caregivers know what home care means, and it usually means that we have to look after our own because we're the ones who care most about them, and we often do it without the supports that we need. A great sacrifice and great benefit to the country that doesn't have to pay us for it. So we do need a national strategy, and it's got to be for the aging population. It's the bigger picture. It's not just a subset or a group 
of elderly people who might have dementia. You can be sick. You can have all kinds of other conditions that require. You can be young and be at home being cared for by parents or relatives or friends or neighbors. So we, in the end, it's the caregivers who look after their loved ones no matter what happens, no matter what resources are available. We need to get ready for the big silver tsunami. It's already here. You know, Sal, I think you put that very eloquently, that you, the caregivers, you know what home care means, and it means that it's going to be on your shoulders. I think that sums everything up. But um, let's uh, start uh, wrapping this up. Carrie Lucky, do you have hope that uh, we're going to be better at dealing with this in the future? I, I I do, and only because we were going to have to because of the numbers that Saul just described. Um, and and just as a final note, I just thank everyone out there today. Um, I hope you take a moment to thank a caregiver. Um, they have every right to be angry or depressed. Sometimes uh, they take on a tough job. Uh, they have every right to do some things just for themselves once in a while. They need to take care of themselves. But please recognize them. Please acknowledge them. Um, they're doing a, a pretty tough job. That's right. And remind people that, you know, they deserve to take care of themselves. But if they don't, then that will shorten the time that they will be available for their loved ones. Exactly. And Jane and I would advise to all my friends who I see becoming caregivers in whatever way, remember that if you get sick, and it often happens, believe me, Who's going to look after your loved one? So it's extremely important to look after yourself. Jane Metis, what would you like to leave us with? I, I think I'd like to say is that if you know someone who's a caregiver, help them out. Um, offer to make a meal. Um, offer to go and look after that person because there are lots of people out there that you know could provide a helping hand to a neighbor or a relative um, and maybe don't think about it. So I think that we need to think more about that as well. Okay, that's a, a good suggestion as well. Thank you all. We have Sal Amenta, who is a caregiver, Carrie Lucky from the Circle of Care, that's part of the Sinai Health System, and Jane Medes with the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.